everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Giant Take Podcast. My name is Josh, and I am joined by my friend, my co-host, Alex. We are here for a preview of another primetime game because the NFL decided in the beginning of the season that we're going to give the Giants as many primetime games as we can give a team. And uh, they go from a Thursday night football game to a Monday night football game against the Seattle Seahawks. And yes, you saw it in the title. I think Alex mentioned it last week when we had the preview uh, that we're going to try and get like more guests on this season. We haven't had guests on in a few months and I like jumped right in and I was like, don't say that. We don't want to guarantee anything, Alex. Be careful with what you say. Uh, but it's all right because we had Rob Guerrero last week to preview the 49ers and this time we have someone on our side, a Giants fan and a Giants contributor. You see him everywhere. Nick Filato, he's in the title. Uh, and we had a really good interview with him. And we're not going to take that much time, but we are going to get into the news. And uh, first, we're going to get into Alex and how he's doing. I'm the news. A week. Uh, Alex is the news. Uh, and, and a week after our last episode, too, Alex. It's been a little bit. I know. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a mini vacation, mini Giants vacation. Um, but I'm excited. I'm ready for more Giants football. And um, I'm really nervous, if you want me to be completely honest. This is an important game. Uh, maybe even a must-win game. Stay tuned for the interview where we discuss that a little bit more. Shane, oh, plug. That's, all right. That's plug good. number one, by the way. Keep plug, track of it. Plug number one. Uh, but yeah, I'm just excited to get into it and uh, had a really good chat with Nick. So uh, I'm excited to uh, get going here before uh, before that gets started. So let's talk about the news right now. We'll start out with the Giants had just 11 rushing attempts on Thursday night. That was the second or their second fewest in a game in the Super Bowl era. The only game they had fewer... Week 10 of 1989. <laughs> what, when was I in 1989, Alex? What, was, what were you in 1989? No, no, no. What was the year 1989? It was, it was a big year for one person specifically that's been all around the NFL world, for God's sake, the past few days. It's when Taylor Swift was born. Uh, versus the Rams. Now, yeah, no, I'm not going on a Taylor Swift rant and how she's, like, taking over the NFL. It's so annoying. But anyway, sorry, I just had to do that. <laughs> the Swifties are clicking off the podcast as we speak. No, the Swifties are... No, they're mad at they're... you. They've clicked off now. It's so sad that now when I hear the year 1989, that's the first thing I think of. See, I don't think you I Notice how I had no idea. Yeah, you had no idea. I mean, that's, that's really good. I wish I had that. It's just because she has the album titled that and... Okay, anyway, on Tuesday, the Giants coach Brian Dable said that all the injured players were making progress. Line Linebacker, left guard, excuse me, Ben Bredesen had cleared concussion protocol. However, he is still in the protocol, has to get through practices this week before he can officially be cleared. However, the expectation as of now is that he will be ready for Monday. Hopefully no setbacks occur. And then Marcus McKeithen, the right guard for the New York Giants. That's not going to change. And, um... It'll be interesting. Will they go week to week about this? And uh, plug to the interview number two. Uh, we talk about the guard situation on this team uh, and how it's kind of been a ever revolving door, I think is the word that Alex said or something along those lines. Saquon Barkley, the Giants top player, uh, ankle injury, didn't do much on Tuesday during the Giants walkthroughs. However, he's quote getting better. We'll see how it goes, said Brian Dable. Uh, and the Giants, again, the Giants do have an extra couple days of practice or one extra day since they're playing Monday night. They're going to practice Thursday through Saturday. Thursday, meaning today, is in full pads, and we have updates on that in a little bit. Uh, Alex, do you want to go? I've been talking for a little bit. Sure. 
All right, so uh, we are going to move on now to um, left tackle Andrew Thomas. Uh, he is uh, nursing that hamstring injury. Jordan Ronan, a beat reporter for ESPN, uh, about what he thought uh, were his chances of playing on Monday night. He said good, uh, added that it would probably be a four- or five-week injury if he was a skill player, not an offensive lineman. So that is, uh, I guess, good news here for Andrew Thomas, who at this point looks to have about a 75% chance, if I were to make a guess, of playing. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. And then Brian Dable on Thursday today when we're recording this said that everybody will practice. Uh, that included Saquon Barkley, uh, who will do individual drills, move around. We saw a little bit of film from that too, of him uh, doing some individual stuff. And he is making progress. Dable said, well, let's see where he's at. And then kind of leading off of that with the injury report, uh, the Giants released their first injury report of the week uh, today, Thursday, when we're recording this. So I will go through that now. Uh, limited participants were Saquon Barkley. Da Daniel Bellinger with a neck injury was limited. DJ Davidson elbow was limited. Aziz Ojolari with a hamstring was limited. Uh, also apparently trending uh, to a positive uh, result here and most likely playing uh, on Monday night, hopefully. And then Andrew Thomas, also a limited participant uh, with that hamstring injury. And then uh, ben Bredesen was back to full practice uh, with his concussion. He should be activated out of concussion protocol any day now. So that's good news, and he should be slotted back into the starting offensive line for the Giants uh, on Monday night. Seahawks, they have not released their injury report yet when we're recording, um, but I do have some news uh, from some of the beat reporters there. Corbin Smith, who, no offense, I don't really know Seahawks news uh, people, but he seemed to be somewhat credible or really credible credible but I don't need there's no needs to be an adjective in front but uh, he seemed to be pretty credible he said Pete Carroll said uh, that Tariq Woolen is okay and will practice this week while Daryl Taylor uh, participated in a walkthrough Charles Cross uh, the tackle and Phil Haynes uh, were um, you know kind of wait and see candidates Trey Brown is still in concussion protocol so there's a little bit of Seahawks update nothing official but some reported stuff there based on a Pete Carroll press conference. And uh, for anyone who, who doesn't uh, know, or I, I'll guess I'll talk about Corbin Smith just for a few seconds, for anyone who's a big podcast fan of the Locked On series, he is that host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. So um, to, put a, to put a face to a name or a face to a podcast or a name to a podcast, whatever you want to say, that's, that's, that's what he does there uh, for you know covering the Seahawks team. All right, Alex, one of our biggest parts here of the podcast, and it's the NFL picks. I went 10 of 5 last week. You went 11 and 4. I'm still not able to have a better week than you are, and that is not good. However, it's getting closer and closer, and hopefully next week I can overtake you uh, and get a better week record wise. However, that has not happened yet, so we'll have to wait and see. But again, I went 10 of 5. You went 11 and 4. So we both had pretty good weeks. Do you want to go over your picks and then I'll take over after? You get like an extra game now because you have the 930 as well. I don't think that's oh, hard. Yeah, that I, I don't think start, that's not um, No, it isn't. But that that's a, a 930 start for anyone who wants to wake up early on Sunday to watch Falcons-Jaguars. Uh, Riveting. Free to do that. All right, so we have our Thursday night game. We are recording this before the game, so no collusion or whatever you want to say. I've got the Packers. Uh, Josh has the Lions. Jaguars, Falcons, you just mentioned, London game, 9.30 a.m. on Sunday. Uh, we have the Jaguars, both of us, Rams, Colts at the 1 o'clock slate. I got the Rams, Josh got the Colts. 
Um, who is next here? We got Ravens, Browns. We both have the Ravens, Vikings, Panthers. We both have the Vikings, Bengals, Titans. Uh, we both have the Bengals, Saints, Bucks. I have the Saints. Josh got the, uh, has the Bucks. Uh, Dolphins, Bills. I have the Bills. Josh has the Dolphins, who just came off that 70-point game. So probably a nice guess there, but I'm hoping for a, a Bills win, I guess. I don't know why I chose that now. I'm kind of regretting it, but it's too late now. Uh, Broncos, Bears. I got the Broncos. Uh, Josh has the Bears for probably the worst game of the entire season. Commanders, Eagles. Uh, we both have the Eagles. Steelers, Texans. I'm riding the hot hand with C.J. Stroud, uh, and I'm going to go with the Texans. Josh went with the Steelers. I'll send it to you for the 4 o'clock window. I'm surprised you didn't talk about the matchup of the week a little bit more, Alex. I mean, Broncos, Bears, the battle of the bad. I mean, like, what it, like... You have is, to. You'd have to pay me to watch that game. That is horrendous television, right there. That's sad. Uh, yeah, that's I guess a fun red zone watch that'll never be shown on red zone because the game will be negative one to negative one, and you can't score negative points in football. But I'm sure those teams will somehow make Figure it out of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. The four o'clock window. We have Chargers, Raiders. Both the Chargers winning that one. Cardinals, 49ers. We both of the 49ers winning there. Patriots, Cowboys. The Sunday. Oh, no, it's not Sunday Night Football, a 4 o'clock game. Both of the Cowboys winning against the Patriots. Chiefs-Jets a Sunday Night Football, which would have been so much more fun if Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback, but he's not, and we both have the Chiefs winning that game, and I think we all know who's on Monday Night Football, and that's what we're going to go to now. Our players to watch, Giants, Seahawks. I will start my Seahawks player to watch. It's not DK Metcalf. It's Geno Smith who's going to be throwing to DK Metcalf a lot. And the thing is with Smith, I want to see there's a good Geno Smith and there's a bad Geno Smith. Which one are we going to get in this game? I'm very interested to wonder. Again, back-to-back weeks, I shouldn't say again. I mentioned the interview, which we recorded already, so that's what I'm saying again. Like I said it, but you haven't heard me say it yet. Back-to-back weeks, the Seahawks has scored 37 points. And in those games, Geno has been pretty good. Uh, You know, he's thrown an interception, I think it was last week. But besides that, he's getting close to, if not over, 300 yards of passing. Again, he has that running back in Kenneth Walker that can also handle some of the load, and he has one of the best wide receivers in the game and DK Metcalf to do it. But I want to know what Geno Smith do we get. So that's why he's my Seahawks player to watch and my Giants player to watch is Adoree Jackson. Why? Because of DK Metcalf. I understand that he plays in the slot a lot of the time, so it'll most likely be Deontay Banks or someone else on the outside covering DK. But if DK ever does go in the slot, how is Adoree Jackson going to face up against him that's my question that I want to see or how is Dory Jackson or Dory Jackson excuse me going to face up against any wide receiver he goes against in this game he's a player uh, that I have not mentioned yet this season so he's someone that I'm going to watch Alex all right I'm kind of going with the obvious storyline here for my Seahawks player to watch Jamal Adams making his return from injury back to New York uh, obviously was a huge part of that defense they spent a lot of draft capital to acquire him from the Jets and uh, we'll have to wait and see uh, what his impact is on this game, especially in the run game. Giants may be without Saquon Barkley. Uh, you know, can Jamal Will- uh, Jamal Adams, excuse me, uh, you know, really uh, kind of stamp his name on this game? And and I think I think he probably will. Uh, I know just came back from an ACL, I believe, but uh, I think he has been kind of preparing all week. So interested to see how his return to MetLife Stadium uh, goes. And then for the Giants. Uh, kind of similar lines along you uh, that you had. Uh, I'm going to go with Deontay Banks. Makes the most sense to be matched up with DK Metcalf uh, in terms of size, physicality, etc. 
and uh, I it's going to be a tough challenge for him, and uh, that's going to be a matchup that I'm going to watch. I think Banks has kind of a personality for sure. Uh, you know, we know DK Metcalf has a, a strong personality, so seeing those two go head-to-head, kind of excited to see it. And then our score predictions uh, all start off. We actually have uh, first time this season, I believe, that we have had uh, separate teams winning this game, Alex having something different than I have. Like I said, the Seahawks have scored over 30 points so far this season. I haven't seen the Giants, besides that comeback victory, get up there in the point totals. 49ers and Dallas game has just been absolutely horrendous offensive football. I have the Seahawks winning this one 32-20. I just don't think the Giants offense is going to be able to replicate and and not even replicate. Well, you know, they won't be able to replicate it. They won't be able to overexceed what the Seahawks offense is putting on the board. And I just don't think this defense hasn't, they haven't shown me enough in Kayvon Thibodeau and Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams on the defensive line haven't shown me enough to where they can get to the quarterback and sack him and, you know, force a fumble maybe. I was rewatching the Week 15 matchup, Alex, when Kayvon Thibodeau had that a- absolutely unbelievable strip sack on Taylor Heineke. If you remember, he he ripped it out of his hands at the one and then picked it up and sat with a tie game, right? Yeah, I remember that. So, like, they haven't given me enough confidence yet to say that our defense can slow this Seahawks team down, and that's why I had them winning 32-20. And uh, I'll send it to you for your winner of this game. All right, well, as the optimist here, I'm going to go with the Giants win. I'm going to, I'd say if the Giants do win, it's going to be tight. And that's why I have it here, 28-27 Giants win. Uh, I do think if the Giants lose, I think they will probably lose by more than one possession. So I think your prediction is pretty realistic. But I'm I'm going with the optimistic point of view here. uh, And I have the Giants, you know, hopefully pulling this one out on Monday Night Football uh, at home at MetLife Stadium. All right, so... Uh, a couple things here. I'm just going to do the plugs now. Thank you for, so much for listening. It's not over yet. I don't even know why I said that. We have an interview coming up with Nick Filato in just a moment. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the Giant Take Pod, as well as TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. Alex on Twitter at Anorian23. I'm on Twitter at JoshOlo29. Five stars, subscribe, all that good stuff. And get on our YouTube channel and subscribe and, and watch some content there. Uh, if you'd rather, you know, after you're done with this intro here, if you'd rather be like, I'm a visual learner or i'm a visible i I like i like i like video uh the interview you want you want to see our faces for some weird reason (laughs) you want to see nick's face and 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 yeah there you go that's really the reason that's the primary reason there uh if you want to watch this interview feel free because it will be on our youtube channel there uh but right after this is going to be our interview with nick flotta we hope you enjoy and uh we will see you and talk to you why am i saying it like it's the outro just enjoy the interview with nick flotta coming up right now we are back now with a very special guest, someone who came onto this podcast a few years ago. We're super excited for him to be joining us again. It's Nick Filato, a co-host on Big Blue Banter, as well as a writer and a podcast host for Big Blue View. Nick, how's it going today, man? Josh, Alex, thank you so much for having me. It's going to be fun to talk some Giants. I wish they had a better record than one and two, but it's a winnable game against the Seattle Seahawks, so hopefully they show up. And I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah, no, we we were thinking about it and we were like, we have to have Nick back on because you are in that Giants media. Everywhere you look, it's like either Big Blue View or Big Blue Banter. You're you're kind of all a part of this media setting here, you know, covering the New York Giants, uh, whether it's writing on the site. Uh, also, didn't you do or do you still do stuff for Giants County as well? Is that through Giants Country? Yeah, the Giants us. Country. Sorry. No, it's all good, man. Yeah, Sports Illustrated with Patricia Traina. Big fan of Patty Traina. She's done a lot for for my young career ever since I got out of college. So 
I really have a, the utmost respect for her and I help her out with a lot of draft stuff in the offseason. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm saying. Everywhere you turn or everywhere you look, it's it's by Nick Filato on there or you're listening to him on on your, you know, your audio podcast platform. So I want to start off just by saying, you know, first of all, since the last time we had you on a few years ago, it's, it's been a lot of change. New GM, new head coach, last season, a successful one for the first time in a few years with a playoff team. Just, you know, as a journalist, how would you kind of summarize what it's been like since the last time we spoke to you on this podcast? The change was much needed. I appreciated the fact that the Giants organization, and this is rehashing stuff from over a year ago now, but we can go back into the time machine. Bringing in Joe Shane outside of the organization and Brian Dable outside of the organization, the fact that they had a relationship, I feel like that was important for continuity. They were on the same page. They seem like they're on the same page. I haven't soured on them after this slow start. Look, it hasn't been pretty through the first three games. Giants are one and two. I expected them to kind of be one and two, even though I thought the Giants would possibly win week one. It looks very stupid now. And it kind of the, the, the balloon has kind of been deflated a little bit after that 40 to nothing loss to the Dallas Cowboys. But I, I still believe the Giants at least are on somewhat of the right path. They have the right people in charge. The contracts that they added, look, it might stifle them if this ship does sink a little bit moving forward. It might not be as as good for them or as profitable as maybe they had hoped, but they're not backbreaking. They're not contracts that are going to murder them three, four, five years down the line. So ever since the last time we spoke, I have appreciated the moves the Giants have made to make them competitive. I didn't think, well, I picked the Giants. I didn't, I guess, pick the Giants to make the playoffs last year, but I picked them to win, I think, nine games, I believe is what I picked them to win, or eight games. I had them with a good record, mostly based on coaching. I, I did believe the coaching jump from Brian Dable to Joe Judge was going to be significant, but it was more so the record, who they were going to be playing, the schedule, the AFC South, who they swept. They swept the AFC South. The Giants made the playoffs, won a playoff game, despite the fact that they only had one divisional win. That's not really going to be replicated. The Giants can't compete within their division, and unfortunately, they have Philadelphia and the Dallas Cowboys in their division. I thought maybe the Giants would have been able to compete against a team like Dallas. They competed against them in 2022. Week one would suggest otherwise, right? <laughs> like every any given Sunday, as they say, but week one would certainly suggest otherwise. But the Giants did beat the Cardinals in week two, and lo and behold, the Cardinals end up beating Dallas in week three. So the NFL is kind of a peculiar um, league. Obviously, it's one of the reasons why I love it. But I'm I'm optimistic about the future with Joe Shane in charge, to circle back to your original question. Um, you know, we were talking about this before uh, we even got on air here, uh, you know, about film and all that kind of stuff. We we're talking about training camp and, uh, you know, Josh and I jokingly talking about how we've been silenced by the Giants now. But, um, you know, we know you're a big film guy. Uh, you really like to dive deep into that. Um, so what have you seen so far? Obviously, the offensive line has been the really, really big uh, talking point, I think, amongst most Giants fans. The adjustments have been made, different offensive line each week. Um, but there has been one constant figure, uh, and that is rookie John Michael Schmitz. Uh, what have you seen, uh, I guess, on film or just from watching the games as well uh, from him so far uh, in his rookie season on this kind of makeshift offensive line that's been adjusting every single week? I think week three was probably his worst game, Alex, but I am very encouraged with John Michael Schmitz. Look, we haven't had a center who can move as fluidly as John Michael Schmitz, and he wasn't even necessarily the center with the top end athletic ability like say Wisconsin's Joe Titman that was the center that a lot of the draft pundits were saying had the best athletic ability but 
the way he opens and closes his hips, picking up twists and closing certain gaps, it's really impressive. It's very quick. It's not something that John Feliciano necessarily had, although I think John Feliciano was a fine starter for the Giants. It's kind of a bad rap. It's not something that even Nick Gates had, who I had a lot of respect for when he was starting for the Giants at guard, center, tackle, wherever the hell they really wanted to put him. So his athletic ability, his intelligence with mid-play after the snap, realizing where that blitz is coming from and helping his guards out, I don't think he is in the best situation right now. And that's another aspect and reality that I'm trying to to kind of um, see through as I evaluate his tape. It's like, he has a different guard starting next to him in week three, and he also had Mark Lewinsky in week one. That's who he primarily worked next to throughout training camp, and then he gets benched, and now you have essentially another rookie in Marcus McKethan sliding in there starting opposite of him. So you're like, hmm, that's not a great situation. Shane Lemieux in week three, not a great situation. So there's a lot of new faces surrounding him, and despite all of that adversity that John Michael Schmitz is facing, I think he's playing relatively well. There's not a high bar to set without Andrew Thomas on the offensive line to say that this offensive lineman is playing better than anybody else on the offensive line. Like that's not necessarily an accomplishment, unfortunately, but I would probably, you can make a realistic argument that that player would be John Michael Schmitz sans Andrew Thomas. Cause Evan Neal has not looked great. Marks McKethan has looked, I think like adequate enough. Like I'm encouraged by him. Josh Azudu playing left tackle. It's kind of a different evaluation that, that, that you can dive into. And he's looked okay. But considering the circumstances, but I'm encouraged with John Michael Schmitz's play, and I, and I really appreciate how he moves up to the second level and his eyes, really. You kind of mentioned this already, but um, when you're looking at the offensive line, obviously the tackle spots are kind of solidified no matter how bad uh, you know Evan Neal is playing or um, you know he is struggling at the moment. Obviously, we're all hoping he's going to get better. But And then you have JMS at center, who we just talked about. But at those guard spots, those have kind of been the rotating doors uh, it feels like so far this season and now at this point with Bredesen coming back from concussion protocol uh, and I believe everyone else pretty much healthy where do you see where are you evaluating who do you think those two starting guards should be obviously McKeithen has now been kind of placed in that starting role which I don't think any of us expected uh, at the start of the season but I guess going forward if you were the coach I guess we can say here who would be your two starters uh, at those guard spots I think you would have to take it game by game, which isn't necessarily great, but that's what a lot of NFL teams will do when they don't have a solidified starter. It's what Bobby Johnson has said in interviews, like, look, if you're not Evan Neal or Andrew Thomas, you better have versatility. And I wonder how comfortable the Giants are with Josh Azudu at right guard. Because we know that this offensive line and this team likes to cross-train throughout training camp and throughout the offseason. They're offensive linemen. But Josh Azudu seems like he's been mostly at left guard and then at left tackle, which now he has a start as an NFL player at left tackle. Do they, are they not comfortable putting him at right guard? And is that why they're going with McKethan, who might have had more reps at right guard when he did get healthy throughout training camp? I also think they like having that 700-pound block of Evan Neal and Marcus McKethan when they run duo and when they run power and when they run inside zone to just drive that end man on the line of scrimmage or that five technique or that four or that four eye or whatever they whatever the three technique if Evan Neal blocks down. I think they like having that power at the point of attack. And McKethan or McKethan, he can move too. That's something else about him. So I don't love the fact that Ben Bredesen is the better option at left guard, and that's not me slighting Ben Bredesen, but the Giants drafted Joshua Zudu to be a starter. You spent a day two pick on him. A lot of people were a little bit shocked by that. I think he has the most upside of anybody 
at the guard position because of how well he moves and his grip strength. Like when he gets a hold of you, he doesn't really let you go. He pulls you tight, restricts the space, defender is eliminated at that point. I think as a run blocker, he is much further along in his development than as a pass blocker. And that's my issue with Josh Asudu. But if all things are, or if everybody's healthy, all things considered, I think it has to be has to be a Ben Bredesen at left guard. And then I'm guessing right now I'm cool with McKeithen being that right guard. And that's where I would roll, see how he progresses there, let him get comfortable, doesn't have a lot of reps under his belt from a career standpoint. And then you have Josh Azudu as a swing offensive lineman, which is pretty unique, right? It's not just a swing tackle, not just a swing interior offensive line guy. No, if something happens to either tackle, you're going to put Josh Azudu there. I'm wondering if something were to happen to Evan Neal, would they put Matt Pert there over Azudu, or are they comfortable enough being like, yeah, I know you played left tackle and left guard, but but Azudu, get your ass over there and play right tackle. That that would be a that'd be a crazy situation, but I wouldn't put it past them. And I guess that's how they're going about it. And I'm willing to change week to week, but I am comfortable with the offensive line that the Giants should have against Seattle. And Seattle, look, they don't have a lot of star power on their on their um defensive line, like not a lot of names that jump out at you. They got some guys, man, like Barrio Edwards Jr. Giant fans know him. He's a hardworking, like pretty violent and talented pass rusher from the interior. And then Jerron Reed is just very quick. The Seattle Seahawks run a different type of defensive philosophy than the New York Giants. They're much more one gap penetrating. You're going to see a lot of Jerron Reed on one technique, shooting the freaking A gap, trying to get around JMS or trying to beat McKeithen or the other guard, Ben Bredesen, through that gap to penetrate into the pocket. So the Giants really need to be on their P's and Q's and uh, focus on Jerron Reed, because that quickness is something that can just blow up drives. And, and in terms of this matchup, and I'm, I don't know if I'm jumping the jumping the gun here a little bit, but the Giants just can't fall behind the sticks. They have to stay on schedule, get into those third and manageable situations. They have to avoid these third and 12s in these situations. And maybe you can do that by running the football a little bit, but if they are going on off play action pass, they need to protect the A-gap and not allow Daniel Jones to have immediate pressure in his face because if you find a lot of these third and long situations it's just going to be another nightmare on offense and I can't watch another game of the Giants getting 150 yards and I don't think it's going to be that way against the Seahawks but still you need to protect the guy yeah no you you did perfectly to help me get to my next question and that that's kind of just just I we, we talked about it earlier and don't worry you're not at fault because Alex and I also had in our predictions the Giants winning week one against the Cowboys so it's it was really on all Giants fans' minds, just like, but how how are you feeling right now? I know it's it's a question kind of circling around the NFL media right now and in New York is that, oh, if this Giants team loses on Monday night against the Seahawks, that's it for the season and that's it for their playoff hopes and they're sitting here with another loss. I, I just don't know if it's that big of a deal at this point. I, it's still early. Obviously, this game that you want to say, like the Giants need to win that's everyone you know everyone's going to say it's a must win and I agree I mean you're going against the Seahawks right this is a team that you can beat um however they put on a lot of which I want to get to a little bit later that this Seahawks team has put up a lot of points uh so far this season and the Giants the exact opposite so um but I want to ask you like yeah I guess like how are you feeling slash in terms of this game is are you siding with that this is a must win in order for the season to go in the right way. Like, is the season over if the Giants lose this game? Look, the season is very long. I have even been guilty of saying this is a must-win type of game. And I don't like doing that, but I understand the framework and the mindset as to how someone would get to that, including myself, right? Like, because you have Miami after this, and then you have Buffalo. You could win those games. 
they're not going to be favored. You're hosting a a primetime game against a, a team, Monday Night Football, that you're going to be vying for wild card positioning against. Like the Seahawks are one of those teams because San Francisco is probably going to run away with that division. And then the Giants have to deal with the Cowboys and the Eagles. One of those teams, probably the Cowboys, will more than likely secure a wild card spot. But again, injuries can happen. There's so, there's so much still to unfold. So it is early to your point, Josh. Certainly early. But the Giants lose this, fall to one and three. You got to beat Miami or Buffalo. And if you don't, you fall to one and five. And I don't know what the locker room is like at that point. And I would hate to think the locker room is going to spiral. I would like to imagine that this coaching staff has a firmer grasp on things than, um, than a lot of other coaching staffs around the league. And part of me does believe that's the case. But then you still have New England. You have the Jets. You have both commanders games. You have uh, a very tough schedule. Cowboys another time. The Eagles two more times. It it would be hard for me to to think that they would be able to rally and and finish the season strong. But it's still within the range of outcomes. It's just not as likely. So to me, it's almost a must-win game. And it's quite there. But it is a little premature. I'll, I'll certainly give you that. And then kind of going off of that, people are saying it's a must-win game. And when you have a must-win game, you need all your best players on the field. And Saquon Barkley, as our best player, is questionable, obviously, for Monday Night Football. What are your thoughts on the mindset that he kind of has you mentioned, out there? Do we rush him back? Alex, you're saying Saquon Barkley, too. We're, we're going one and two. Andrew Thomas as well. Like, these are... I think personally, Andrew Thomas is more likely to be back be than back. Saquon Barkley. I think the Saquon yeah. Barkley now, it's been confirmed it's a high ankle sprain mm-hmm. uh, by a few sources, which usually takes four, five weeks uh, You know, for normal human beings. Obviously, Saquon Barkley uh, is a abnormal athlete uh, in you know how he uh, operates. But I would say, is it a situation where even if he's, say, 50%, we throw him out there, 60%, or is it we really should not be throwing him back out there, uh, even in this quote-unquote must-win uh, game? Yeah, I don't think the Giants should be putting Saquon Barkley out there if it's if it's something that he can re-aggravate. Now, if it's a pain tolerance thing and, and he's good to go, that that's a different story. I think it's unlikely that he plays. I'm not a doctor. I'm not in the building. I really have no insight on that. But it just seems like it would be unlikely. High ankle sprains are typically, you know, Four weeks. I remember Saquon came back from a high ankle sprain back in what was it, 2019, and it was a slow start, and it was still a faster recovery than normal, but it wasn't this quick. So I don't necessarily expect to see Saquon out there. I think you're going to see Matt Breida, who's a capable backup, and then Gary Brightwell, who was a fine running back, didn't have a lot of success against San Francisco, but San Francisco is a difficult team to run on. I also think Seattle is a difficult team to run on. They're they're very structured well they're the very organized defense as i uh termed it on another pot on big blue banter they're just very um respectable with their run fits they're getting healthier as well you could throw on them now i know they're gonna have reek wollen back they could have kobe bryant back jamal adams is coming back but i think the giants want to win this football game which they can i picked seattle to win just a spoiler alert on my podcast big blue banter but i think the giants have a very realistic shot to win this game and it could come back down to just limiting mistakes now the giants had those two fumbles by Richie James in Seattle week eight last year. Now this is on the East coast, luckily, because Lumen field is ridiculous. I think Carolina last week had like eight false start penalties. Like screw that. Like, we don't want to deal with that, but the giants couldn't do anything offensively last year. They also didn't have a Darren Waller, but they did have a Saquon Barkley. So 
I think the Giants can establish the mismatch nightmare that we have not seen yet named Darren Waller. And if Seattle starts to allocate a lot of their defensive resources, like the 49ers did to stop Darren Waller, that's when it's going to be on Wandale Robinson, who I expect his snap count to jump, Darius Slayton, hopefully Jalen Hyatt, who's going to have a little bit more of an expanded role now that the Giants had more than a week to prepare for this game. Try to just beat this cover three type of team that has vulnerabilities if you attack it well. But running the football could be a little difficult, but I still want the Giants to at least attempt it because you have to keep these defensive teams honest. If they just know you're going to pass and the Giants don't really throw the ball downfield all that much, they're just going to play top down on you and drive through the catch point like every defense in the NFC East has been doing against Daniel Jones and the Giants for basically the last two years, if you want to, um, well, let's just say the last year under Brian Dable. Yeah, and I guess this isn't even a question. It's just a statement that as long as Darren Waller can catch the ball and Daniel Jones can have more than like a couple seconds to throw to him, we'll be fine. And that can be a big connection. And we've seen it before. Like we've seen it so far this season, but it's been such limited amount of connections between those two that we saw all of preseason and all of training camp that we know Daniel Jones seems like Darren Waller is his number one guy. But it's just a matter of can the offensive line give Daniel Jones any sort of amount of time to where he doesn't have to scramble out and automatically look for you know a run out of the pocket and then can Darren Waller secure the ball because I'm not going to say that the tight you know the throws haven't been great to him but there have been a couple drops here and there too where we know how good Waller can be uh and and he needs to be coming down with the ball so okay my last question for you is um and and you mentioned uh how you already talked about your predictions again uh, I was going to say like I know the podcasts have come out already. Big Blue View, Big Big Blue Vancer. So obviously, go check those out for uh, Nick's previews of the game there. This Seahawks team, the past couple weeks, have scored the same amount of points. It's been an identical 37-point performance the last two weeks. One of them in overtime against the Lions. One of them in the win against the Panthers last week. How are the Giants... How is their defense going to be able to... to settle them down a little bit here how is Wink Martindale going to be able to keep them low scoring because the Giants have not scored many points this season at all no and I don't expect Wink Martindale to send pressure on 86 percent of Geno's dropbacks I don't even think that would be super wise I think Geno Smith is a much better quarterback than a lot of people around the NFL give him credit for how he navigates the pocket how he sees the field he's um he's very smart and I think he has a very good arm, throws to every level of the field, and he has very good receivers. And we haven't even really seen one flourish yet. So how do the Giants get after him without sending the house? I think you have to try to confuse him at the line of scrimmage. You could crowd the line of scrimmage. First off, I think you got to stop the run. Because you stop the run, maybe you won't be as threatened by the play-action passing attack. Because the play-action passing attack is dangerous for them with their deep overs. And the Giants suck so far through the season, covering those deep over routes. But I want to see the front four get pressure. I think Dexter Lawrence is going to give the center that they have, Brown, all he can handle. I think Dexter Lawrence is going to be a nightmare for them. And Wink Martindale does a really good job scheming one-on-one pass rushing attempts for his players based on his pre-snap alignments. And if he wants to send the pressure, cool. But the pre-snap alignment also dictates 1v1 just because if the linebacker is acting like he's going to come, the guard's going to have to respect him. And that's quick enough for Dexter Lawrence to isolate against that center and just be like, bye, I'm going to ice skate you right back into the pocket. So I want to see Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams really wreak havoc, but but they kind of already have. Like Dexter Lawrence has been good in each of these games. He just hasn't had a sack yet. Leonard Williams was really good last week. Slow start to the season, but really good last week. Kalon Thibodeau, 
and whoever else is going to be starting at the other edge. I haven't gotten the news on Aziz Ojolari yet. I think there was an update today, but I haven't gotten around to seeing that yet as of this recording. But whoever's starting opposite of Kayvon Thibodeau, I want to see those guys beat these tackles because Abraham Lucas is on IR, the tackle for the Seattle Seahawks. Charles Cross, he might play in this game, but he missed last game with a big toe injury. And Stone Forsythe, like a seventh-round pick out of Florida a few years ago, actually looked pretty good on tape. He's out there. So you have these backup offensive linemen. Their right guard left last game, and Anthony Bradford, a fourth-round pick, I think, at like LSU, if I'm not mistaken, ended up playing the majority of that game against Carolina. Actually looked solid. So I want the Giants, when they do send four, to actually pressure Geno and force him off-platform and force him to make those accelerated throws and possibly bait him into some kind of mistake. Because the Giants' corners are going to have some trouble containing Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. And I actually... I'm, I've been really impressed with Deontay Banks and Trey Hawkins. Trey Hawkins, you're a much better tackler than than you showed in San Francisco. I'm willing to overlook that. But I still think they're going to struggle against these types of wide receivers. So, and JSN too is just very, very quick in the middle of the field. I'm wondering how the Giants are going to handle 12 personnel when Seattle comes out in that. I don't know if Disley's playing in this game. He missed last game. It's going to be Noah Fant and Colby Parkinson, not necessarily blocking tight ends. So... Do the Giants come out and nickel there? Do they come out and base? I'm curious on uh, how Wink Barndale wants to to play that matchup from, from that chess uh, part of it from a coordinator standpoint. Man, just get after Geno. And also just stop the run. And you know what? The Giants are pretty solid guys stopping these zone rushing teams. It's the power gap, the counter that they just absolutely can't fit. I also want to see Bobby Okereke step up because I've been wildly disappointed with with his play so far through three games. Alex, I know you got something. I just wanted to say that uh, Aziz, the update right now, uh, all the Giants practice today, he was limited with the hamstring injury, and then Art Stapleton tweeted out that he was looking better during pass rush drills after suffering the injury. Now, you know, how much is that going to mean as we yeah. look at this practice on Thursday and then they got two more Friday and Saturday? We'll have to wait and see, obviously. Yeah, sure, it's a good update, we'll, but we'll we'll wait and see, and then hopefully... You know, the updates continue to be good for the next two days of practices. Alice, you can you can go ahead with what you had. Yeah, well, what I would say is, you know, you, you mentioned the receiving core briefly. You They have, I think, probably one of the most, uh, you know, dangerous receiving cores in the league just based on the profiles of the players they have. Obviously, DK Metcalf is a nightmare matchup for pretty much any corner, and uh, we don't generally have, you know, Banks and Hawkins, not either really bigger corners, uh, you know, physically imposing I guess you can say so that is certainly going to be a, a problem then obviously you got the very veteran savvy Tyler Lockett who I think is probably a one of the most underrated receivers in the league he gets a thousand plus yards every single year and no one uh, even like pays attention to him and then obviously Smith and Jigba who's uh, a rookie here but has shown a lot of uh, promise as well so it's going to be interesting I did want to bring up uh, some people have been talking about how Adoree Jackson doesn't look super comfortable in the slot what do you think about that? Um, do you think he looks uncomfortable? you think he looks all right? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I think the slide is an uncomfortable position to play. I would agree that Adoree Jackson is maximized on the outside. I think that's his most comfortable position. But the Giants have made it clear, and I don't know if this is going to change, especially if the cornerbacks struggle, i.e. Hawkins, that they want to get their best three on the football field. And their best three is Trey Hawkins, Deontay Banks, and Adoree Jackson. 
The only way you could do that is put one of them in the slot, and it's not going to be one of the rookies. And Adore Jackson has experience doing that, so you move Adore Jackson there. Now you can argue, what if you move Adore Jackson back to the outside? What is that going to do? That's going to bring one of two players, whichever one is dressed, and I'm thinking it's going to be Darnay Holmes or Cordell Flott onto the field. I think they would lean with Darnay Holmes. I think Darnay Holmes does a lot of good things for this defense from a run-fitting standpoint and from a like diagnosing standpoint of short passing concepts and screen passes specifically but he's a problem covering these receivers down the football field. He's grabby. He's not always in phase. He's just a little bit undisciplined with that part of his game, which is a huge part. And you're going to be going up against Jackson Smith and Jigba. Maybe he can have a success because he's a rookie, but we know how dangerous Smith and Jigba can be. So I still expect the Giants to use a Dory Jackson in the slot with Trey Hawkins out there, at least to start the game. But I wouldn't be shocked if there are some mistakes, DK Metcalf, Mosses, Trey Hawkins, or whatever happens, that we see... Adore Jackson kicked back to the outside like he had to when Deontay Banks was injured in week three. And then maybe Darnay Holmes or Cordell Flott come into the slot just to spice things up a little bit to see if they're going to get a a better configuration. Because one thing about this defense, guys, and I, maybe we all didn't consider this enough, there's a lot of new faces on this defense. It hasn't necessarily worked yet. Now, maybe it'll all gel. And once they're, they've played games together, they'll start to play with a more... Um, with a more together type of approach, right? Like maybe they will have a little bit more continuity. But as of right now, that has not necessarily happened. I'm not blaming the young corners. I think some of it has to do with Okereke. I think the defensive linemen the Giants have brought in haven't really done anything to to jump out at us quite yet. So I'm hoping it's just the, the them just getting ingratiated into the defense and they're going to put it all together shortly. But that's one thing... I want to see as well is that can happen. The Giants might be able to slow the Seattle team down and then they can win the football game. But through three weeks, I haven't been impressed by the defense whatsoever. Follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Filato, and then make sure to go listen to the more in-depth previews on Big Blue View, Big Blue Banter. Listen to Nick preview this game two more times after this. Okay. Go on those podcasts, listen. And uh, Nick, we thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Josh, Alex, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk shop. Let's try to get a win, New York Giants. That would be lovely.